Hello, and welcome to the Renwick Centre podcast. Due to popular demand from our audience, we are back speaking about the NDIA. This week, we speak with Bronnie Lameau, an NDIA support officer here at RIDBC, who guides us through the next steps with the NDIA. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Trudy Smith and I'm the manager of the Continuing Professional Education here at the RIDBC Renwick Centre. We thought, given all of the demand after our previous podcast on the NDIS, that we should do a second parter. And it's wonderful to have Bronnie Lameau with us today to talk about that with us. Bronnie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Hi, I'm Bronnie and I'm really glad to be here with you guys. Um... So I've been working with the NDIS team here at RIDBC for maybe six months, but I've been working in the NDIS world for maybe since the first rolled out in 2015. Um, I'm profoundly deaf, so I have a little bit of limp experience with disability and I know a lot and work with a lot of people with disabilities as well. So yeah, that's me. So you bring personal and professional experience with the NDIS, which is fantastic and so useful for our families, which is wonderful. But let's talk about the NDIS experience for a family with that new diagnosis. So where do they begin? Should they ring the NDIA? Should they ring a provider? Where do they even start? Okay, so um, the the NDIS has different pathways especially for families from zero, from birth to six years old, it should go to the ECI pathway. So the ECI approach doesn't necessarily need a diagnosis. All they need is um, a developmental concern. So if any delays that have been noticed in your children, you're able to bring that up. You can discuss with a doctor or a therapist to talk about whether you feel that it's enough for your child to actually need some NDIS access or if have a diagnosis then that's great. Um, so when you would like to go with the ECI partner you can find one or two different main ways. You can call for the NDIS phone number which is the general 1800 800 or you can look up online. So there's a web page where you can type up your support and you can find your local SEI partner. So the SEI partners are partnering organisations all over Australia and they work with the NDIS and have teams of therapists, professionals, med- medical professionals, support people, all of that as well. And they will meet with the family and assess whether a child has a diagnosis or a developmental delay and then link the family to the NDIS and help them write and apply for the access request form and talk about what kind of support that your child needs. And then once the child becomes the NDIS participant, they will also work with the family for implementing their plan as well. How does the family know what their child needs in terms of support? So I know that for some families, particularly with children with hearing loss, 95% of families have never had any experience with hearing loss before. So knowing what to ask for in a plan could be quite daunting for those families. So how do they find out what they should ask for in their plan? Yeah, I understand that can be quite difficult because it's hard to tell when or what. Um, personally, I can't really tell 
because I never raised children myself. But what they can do is meet with a doctor or um, a health professional and they can provide like hearing tests or vision tests and see um, how much they've been delayed in there as well. Sometimes it have to go with your gut feeling or sometimes it can be just a small thing that you notice. Like for example, um, when I was a baby, um, my mother only noticed when I wasn't really responding to loud noises. So I can pick up on those small things and maybe, so I really recommend that if you think just something really small, I think really short, just take your child to a doctor or a health professional and maybe have, have them assist sure. with that. Is that your concern for um, developmental delay? Yeah, and, and once you've got that diagnosis, and then you, you t- we'll take that then to you meeting. Yeah. Okay, great. So when the family's going to that first meeting with the NDIA, after they've, they've done the conversations with the ECEI, who pays for that meeting? Do the family need to pay for that meeting? How does that work? Generally, um, for the initial meetings and any engagement with the NDIA is free of charge. They will pay for everything. It's good for families who have a different language needs or need offline interpreting. The NDIAs will cover the cost of interpreting and translation services. They have um, the NKIND partnership with translation and interpreting services. So for any meetings that you have with the NDIA or um, SEI partner or a local EO coordinator, as well as um, any meetings with uh, with the provider about NDIs related things will be free of charge. So when they the family has um, that first meeting with the ECI, um, what happens in that meeting? What should they bring along to help with that meeting? Okay, so what happens at the NCI partner meeting? That meeting is just to have the ESI partner professionals to use their knowledge about child development and to gather all the information that you think that your child needs and talk about what kind of support in place that needs to have or what needs to happen for your child and use that information to um, help build the NDI's plan. So what you need to do in that meeting to bring in that meeting is to bring any supporting letters or diagnosis from your um, GP or a family doctor and it can show that you have a developmental concern or actual diagnosis and then the SI partner will gather a lot of different information about your child in different ways and that meeting the SI partner will ask you questions like the parental information such as the daily life of your child, um, what kind of worries that you're having for your child, um, what things that you've been picking up about your child that you really personally are worried about. And then the other information such as um, doctors or therapists that will come and play when you bring the report that you have from a GP or um, therapists or teachers as well. If so any teachers note the same th- concerns that you might have. They also will use maybe early childhood information gathering tools, things like um, observing your child and have like questions that they need to answer or 
things that the note about child developmental tools. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So if once the family has had that that meeting and they have to find a provider, it would be assumed then that the provider is knowledgeable in the area of disability that the child has, and they may identify other needs that the child has. For example, um, I'm a teacher of the deaf, so I'm going to choose deafness again as my disability area. A child may actually have dyspraxia or something else and need a, a range of. Uh, support mechanisms or the family has never had any experience with deafness before and doesn't even know what the communication options are and what their choices are. What flexibility is there in the plan once a family becomes more informed about the disability area? Yeah, exactly. So our partners have not professionals to actually know those exact sort of things and quite often a lot of families will have one developmental concerns but maybe it end up having a lot more than expected or maybe a parent might think there's a whole lot of issues but actually can be summarised into one diagnosis so and those meetings as well um the SRI partner will also observe the child and the parents and how they interact as well and they will ask the family about what kind of goals they want to achieve their child. It can be something as simple as um, I want my child to understand what's happening around them or I like my child to improve their occupational space mm-hmm. skills and things like that and they will use that goals that you might hope to have for your child to be incorporated in the plan and connect that with the kind of support that child needs to achieve these goals. Is there capacity to change the plan if we learn more about the child or the family decides they'd like them to be part of the deaf community, for example, and have access to um, a deaf mentor or sign language classes? What flexibility is there in a plan or is it does it change every 12 months? What how does that work? Definitely for the ECI approach, um, they purposefully more flexible compared to other plans. Normally, they have like a set amount of funding for a family, especially with a certain type of diagnosis, and they have a key worker kind of model mm-hmm. where they have a key worker and it will work with the team around your child. So the key worker will work with a therapist, um, with community organisations, and work with mentors, um, work with medical professionals or that different people involved in a child's life and kind of synthesise all these support for a child and the funding set aside can be used flexibility between these kind of supports as well. And also um, if you realise that your child might need more support or end up feeling that the way that a plan is managed not right for a family they can submit um, a change or circumstances. Sure. So a change or circumstance where you submit a form that says um, what kind of changes have been happening in your child's life and explain why the support is not enough or will I have to change how I do things and then the NDIS will do a light touch with you where most of the time will issue a new plan but increase support or a change of where, what way that you would like to manage your plan. Sure, okay. 
it's great to hear that they've got anticipated timelines like the, the 50 days as a maximum but we keep hearing in the press that that they're actually longer than that if a family feels like the delay's been too long are they are they supposed to just wait is there a way that they can follow that up yeah definitely um if there's a significant delay from like for example and you submit your access request form i haven't gotten decision yet it should take up to four weeks haven't take more than that or as well as more than 60 days when have your access decision to actual plan been issued. Your families can take step to directly follow up with either your ECI partner or the NDIA directly. You can call them or send an email to them as well. Sometimes they will not get the answer that you want, so you can contact the RODBC NDIS team we may be able to escalate or um, alert people in the NDIS as well to let me know that your child really needs access ASAP and it needs to be follow up. Um, you can do that by emailing us. However, um, you need to note that we need your permission in writing sure. to make sure that the NDIS will allow us to speak on, you. on their behalf. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes sense. That, that's secure, that's safe, is a, a nice safety clause for families as yeah. well. Exactly. Yep. So to make sure that your choice and control over what you want to do and we're here to support you rather than taking over for you. Yeah. And I think that's really important that families understand that they are responsible for their plan. It's not just us as an organisation trying to get them involved but it's more of a support that we can work with them with the NDIS. Exactly yeah. So how do they find a provider? Is it that they we hope that they google and and look at the options? Does the ECI make suggestions of providers? How does that work? Um, Of course so there's many different ways that you can find a provider. So yes um, ideally a family should talk with the ECI partner because they already have a lot of experience on what kind of provider suits the family best and would have a network but many providers that they might need families themselves can find a provider themselves by looking up on the NDIS website and has a list of all providers that are out there but um, I find it quite cumbersome it's very long and dense and really hard to find so I think it's really better to talk with your ECI partner or LAC or even the NDIS directly as well to talk about what kind of support providers there are and what kind of support they provide and talk about what kind of support that suits your child best. And also if you have a support coordinator built in your plan, a support coordinator's role to actually link you up with other providers as well. So I find them really useful as well. Sounds great. You've given us so much information today. Is there somewhere that people can find this on the RIDBC website as well that we could perhaps add to the show links? Is there more information that we can make available or where should people go to find more information about this? We only have an internal website for start as well. However, I do know that NDIS have plenty of information there even though it can be quite hard to navigate. Um, I also recommend some other websites that also condense all that information and are easy to understand. So I really... Um, so we could perhaps add those to the show notes. So 
people can find those as well. Yeah. That would be really helpful. This has been really helpful as always. The NDIS team at RIDBC are amazing and a wealth of, of knowledge and, and information. So thank you so much for sharing your time. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm really glad to share this with everyone as well. And I know how important that is for everyone to find the right kind of support. And I hope this helps put your journey with the NDIS. A big thank you to Bronnie for speaking with us today. If you have any questions for Bronnie or any of our other guests on the Renwick Centre podcast, be sure to contact us via the short courses page or via our RADBC Renwick Centre Facebook page.